Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Well, good morning. This is the visitor section over here. We've got lots of nice visiting people. And we're glad to have the irregular, whatever we call you. Anyway, but uh, for the recording, this is uh, November 12th, and we are doing the 10th lesson of Ecclesiastes uh, in chapter 7 and 8. So, good to have you, and we look forward to, to our study together. See, Dolly, would you close that door back there? Thank you. Okay, let's pray, and we'll begin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness to us today that we find ourselves here uh, together uh, in this place to study your word and to um, receive uh, the blessing of your word to our hearts today. We pray that you would that you would make our hearts a fertile soil and that your word would find uh, a place to grow and to, to mature, to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus. So we pray for the ministry of your spirit among us and I pray for each person in the room that you would accomplish your good purpose in each of us, encourage us, exhort us in whatever we need today. So we thank you for uh, for your ministry to us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you know, we didn't meet last week, so we're picking up where we left off about two weeks ago. And as far as I can remember by my notes, that was Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and uh, verse 23 approximately. So I'm hoping to to do the rest of uh, seven and all of eight today. We'll see how that, that goes, but that'll keep us on target because uh, we won't meet uh, December 24th or 31st. So we're gonna take those two, two weeks off. So we got four or five weeks to finish the book. Um, Ecclesiastes has become my favorite book lately. I just really enjoyed finding uh, such wonderful truths there. And, uh, as I mentioned, I had to grow in my love for Ecclesiastes. I didn't, uh, I never have studied it too much, and it always seemed like a strange book. It's still strange in some ways, and that's, that's part of the message of the book, that, that life is strange. But um, uh, chapter 7 kind of begins a, a new perspective from, um, from Solomon, and I'm assuming that as we go through the book, I haven't studied in detail anything past uh, chapter 8, that he's growing and, and his perspective is changing. And one of the things that we began to see last week in chapter 7 is that as much as he thinks of wisdom, uh, he sees wisdom, that even wisdom has some uh, limitations. And we, we're beginning to see that uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes there seems to be two kinds of wisdom. There's the, the traditional wisdom that we studied in the book of Proverbs that says, um, what is the beginning of wisdom? The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that's the traditional biblical wisdom that begins with a relationship with God. But then there's what the Bible commentators call um, autonomous wisdom, just uh, the, the, the exact opposite of that, and not beginning with the Lord, but with our own uh, perspective and um, 
like uh, Proverbs 3, what, 5 through 7 in there, it says don't lean on your own understanding. This autonomous wisdom is leaning on his own understanding, trying to use his own wisdom, his own, or his own perspectives to understand what life is about. So we see those two things kind of moving in and out in the, in the book. But let's begin uh, looking in uh, chapter 7, verses 23. Um, I think I'll just read, read 23 to 25. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. So you can see this bit of this arrogance here. I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it? So he is, uh, he's struggling with this search. He can't, it's not working out like he thought that he would, that it would. Uh, you see my note there, the metaphors of distance far off and deep, very deep, evoke both the extent of Koheleth, or he's our, that's the teacher's name, or the, the name for teacher, quest and dismal failure. I, had, I got this quote from one of the guys that I've been reading, a fellow named Ian Proven, and just listen to the convoluted nature of the quote, and it expresses the convoluted nature of, of the preacher's uh, search. Okay, you ready? The data provided for analysis are too complex to allow great comprehension of them. The data provided for analysis are too complex to allow a great comprehension of, of them. So that's the point that he's trying to make, I think. This is, life is too complicated. I can't get it. I can't get my hands around it. It doesn't work like I thought it was going to work. When I think something's going to go one way, it goes another way. And so the quote is confusing, but I think that's the point that, uh, <clears throat> uh, that, that, the, that he's making at this, at this time. So um, the preacher's wisdom, this is this autonomous point that is, it's not grounded in the fear of the Lord. It's the antithesis of the wisdom of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Remember, somebody can quote Proverbs 3, 5, I think. Trust Okay, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on what, John? Right. So that's the point, that there's two ways to have so-called wisdom, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and the fear of the Lord, or leaning on your own understanding. And that's what they call this uh, autonomous wisdom. Um, I think verse 7 says... Uh, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away and turn away from evil. Now, we're going to get to Job, the Lord willing, in, um, in January. I think Job is really a wonderful companion of uh, the book of Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes doesn't address all of the issues that we'd like to address. But I think Job's going to hit them, you know, hit them in, a, in a way that will really be helpful to us. For example, Job 28, I don't think we'll take time to read that, but Job 28 is a classic passage on, the, on kind of the inaccessibility of wisdom. You know, Job says, I don't know where to find it. And he goes to Sheol, he goes to the depths of the sea, he goes to, to, uh, 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 to where jewels and mining is, and everybody says, we don't know where it is. And finally, uh, it becomes obvious in Job 28 that the only way 
that we're going to really find true wisdom if it is if God reveals it to us. He must reveal it. And that it's interesting, the last verse of, of uh, Job 28 says this, And he said, that is, the Lord said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. And that's pretty much an exact parallel to Proverbs 3, 7 that we read earlier. But I'm looking forward to getting to Job um, to, to see how, how, he, how, he, how that book further uh, unpacks all the incongruities of life and why the book of Proverbs doesn't always seem to fit, uh, fit life. So that'll be an interesting study. Um, notice, I think it's important to notice this, that um, both in Proverbs 3, 7 and in this, this verse I just read to you in, in Job 28, uh, verse 28, he says, uh, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. So notice how those two things go together. There's a meaning, there's a moral dimension to wisdom. And if we're turning away from the Lord to find wisdom, uh, we're going to have ethical, moral trouble and moral. Do we see that happening in the book of, uh, or in the life of, of Solomon? Okay, now, interesting passage. Uh, verses 26 to 29. Uh, it was really interesting reading the commentaries on this to see what uh, different different men thought. Um, so I, I uh, call it the appeal of, of uh, two women. And so kind of bear with me as we, as we let this uh, develop here uh, before us. So I'm going to read uh, 26 and 27, and uh, let's see the different options there. Um, 26, and I, find, and I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but... Uh, but the sinner is taken by her. Maybe we'll stop. Uh, stop. Well, let me read one more. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. So, um, this is something that like he said, I found something even more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are, are fetters. Um, so he's but who's he talking about? He found this woman. What do you think? Well, you can read my notes there, but um, of course, the first thing I thought about was First Kings, First uh, Kings eleven one through eight. Uh, in fact, he mentions the, the number thousand here in a, in a few moments. Remember, that's the that's the passage that talks about. It's a very sad very sad chapter of 1 Kings 11. And that's the passage where Solomon's heart, where he married, he married uh, what's, did he have 300 wives or 700 wives and 300 concubines? I don't know if he just rounded those numbers off because they because he had so many, I don't, I don't know. He probably lost his mind by then, but. Uh, what are we saying Something I wish I hadn't said. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, let's go quickly here. Um, but this is that. I don't. We've looked at it several times. I don't look at it again. But 
But this is that passage is so sad. Uh, he, he, uh, he, it says real strong things like that. He gave his heart completely to them, and they turned his heart from the Lord, and he began to worship these pagan gods. It's just, and you look at some of these pagan gods, some of them are even the ones that uh, require the sacrifice of their children. It is really amazing um, where he went. I, he, he clung to them in love, and they turned away his heart to other gods. So maybe he's referring to that to his own experience, but more so it seems uh, from, from the commentators that um, this is referring to our study in the book of Proverbs to uh, Dame Folly or, fo or woman that's personified uh, or folly that's personified as a, as a promiscuous woman. So I think uh, that's the direction I want to go in as he th talks about uh, a woman. And you can read, that we won't go there, but Romans 5 and Romans 7 talks about this woman whose heart and her words are snares and, and nets that she captures uh, young, un unaware men and, and older men too, I would assume, uh, with, her, um, with her attractiveness and her seductive and her seductiveness. Um, I, I, think I'll, I think I'll have this in a, in a later. Yeah, I think the point here, and we've made it before, but I think it's really important to, to make again, and that is that in the Bible, sexual adultery and spiritual idolatry are fused together. Where you see one, you almost always see, uh, see the other. Um, for example, the book of Hosea. And that's a good example of that, isn't it? You have, a, you have an example of an unfaithful wife uh, to, and her adultery and her fornication illustrates the unfaithful, the spiritual unfaithfulness of Israel. So I think that's an important thing to see that here. And it ought to be a, a, you know, a big neon light warning to us that if, that if, if we stray morally and sexually, we're going to have to stray spiritually, and if we stray spiritually um, from the worship of the one true God, there's nothing to protect us from from the sexual perversion and sexual sin. Um, the more do we see it in our culture today, don't we? My goodness, it's a mess, isn't it? The, the confusion about sexual issues in our culture and, of course, our departure from the one, one true God in our culture. Anybody have a thought or something to help us move along that way, Mark? The word schemes in verse 29, uh, I've heard, heard it translated or interpreted as perversion. Yeah, yeah that, and he uses that word two or three times here. It's a very interesting word, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, this idea of, um, in fact, in 27, he starts it in 27. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. And that I think the word's pretty broad, as a lot of Hebrew words are. It can be, it can have a very negative perspective to it, uh, perversity, or it can be just I'm just trying to find out how things work. You know what, what's the what's right and wrong? What are the what's the scheme of, of life? Um, I, you see my note there: devices or inventions, uh, how life works, and he picks it up again as Mark noticed in verse, verse 29. Um, so think about, let's see, where are we? Verse uh, 27, Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, 
while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. And I'll go ahead and read verse 29. See this, see this alone I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So what does that remind you of? What is verse 29? You can't read my mind, but uh, where God made man upright, but then he sought after many other ways, schemes. I think so. Is that you, Steve? Yeah. I think that's what I see here. Just think about uh, Eve. Uh, the, the devil got her to doubt God's goodness and to, to doubt his sovereign control over everything. She said, I'm going to go, I'm going to figure this out myself. And boy, what a mess that made. Uh, made there. She went about in search of her own schemes and things. Okay, so looking at. Uh, Looking at verse 28. So here's another woman that he, that he finds. Um, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Now, Elaine, I'm not going to comment on that because I don't know what to say because it might get me in trouble. Well, but, I was reading that myself and I don't know what you would say either. Good. So it's best just to say nothing. Uh, but, but I'll tell you what I think he... What, but we'll go to the expert Hebrew commentators and, and they say that he's comparing uh, Lady Folly, which is the, the um, personification of, of, um, of foolishness, uh, in the book of Proverbs with Lady Wisdom. And uh, what we find out here is he couldn't find the true Lady Wisdom because he wasn't seeking her you know, out of the fear of the Lord. But boy, did he find Lady Folly. I mean, 1 Kings 11, he found a thousand Lady Follies there. So I think that's what he's saying. <laughs> what he's saying. So verse, uh, I'll just read my notes to you in verse 28, 728. The woman could be Lady Wisdom described in Proverbs 1 through 9, but he did not find her. The irony is that his search for wisdom and the scheme of things without the fear of God led him into the bitter embrace of Dame Folly. Huh. He was searching he, he was searching for wisdom in all the wrong places or for these schemes in all the wrong places. And he found himself in the arms of of spiritual and sexual perversion. Boy, what does that say to us about what we need to say to ourselves, but to our children and our grandchildren? What would your advice be to them when you hear this? Well, let's look at the note there, the quote I have from verse 29. The essence of sin is man's autonomous search for his own schemes. His attempt at finding wisdom without God is not only futile, but sinful and act of foolishness. An act, of, an act of irreverence toward God. So what advice do we give to our children and our grandchildren? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Or there's, there's so much uh, attraction in this world to learn and, and you know, become, become worldly wise, but um, how important it is that we, that we help our children see what is ultimate, ultimate reality is the Lord and knowing Him and and not a bunch of head knowledge. There's not, a, there's not a conflict between the two, but that we pray for their hearts as we seek to help them go. So, um, 
what do we do? Well, we cast ourselves on the grace of God. We humble ourselves under His mighty hand. And, and we see Him. I, I, I think this is, it's been, I hope life impacting to me and, and my counsel to others. We see Him through the lens of the gospel. That's how we should understand God, through the lens of, of the gospel. And we see life uh, through the lens of the gospel. And not only that, um, but I, I want to remember that, I'm, that we are saved not by a philosophical understanding of, of doctrine, but we're saved by a person. We're saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and you know, to embrace Him. And of course, we, got, we understand about Him uh, through the Word of God. But, uh, uh, but to find Him as our, find Him, him and his person as our Savior. I just love uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 130. Christ has become to us wisdom. He is our wisdom. And then I think it's a, a colon then that says, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. So if, if we could talk to Solomon to say, we would say, well, well he knows now, but um, find your wisdom in a person not in your own autonomous search. Okay, any other thoughts about that before we go to chapter 8? Think about how the battle really is within the church because of this, like you can go all the way back to Spurgeon's downgrade controversy where, you know, supposed Christians question God's word and then we have people like Andy Stanley that's this deconstructing Christianity and, and um, it's it's causing people to question whether or not the Word of God is sufficient, authoritative, and inerrant in their lives. And we need to be very careful not to fall into that because every word in here is inspired and it is God's Word for us to change our lives. Well, you're right, Russ. Uh, when we or a church or a family jettisons the authority of God's Scripture, the trajectory is already set. You can be a prophet and know where that family, that person, or that church is going to go. Very good. Okay, chapter 8. Wow, this is a really interesting chapter. I've appreciated it so much. Um, I titled verses 1 through 9, The Enigma of Political Rule, or How Wise People Behave Under an Autocratic Ruler. Um, I think that after studying this a good bit, that what Solomon is talking about in these first nine verses is how to live uh, in the presence of a corrupt totalitarian government or regime or, or, a, or a king. And he may be talking about himself. When you think about this, how this convergence of spiritual um, uh, idolatry and moral perversity come together, when he was in that 10 or 20 years, however long it was, uh, that had to affect his administration. This may be describing his administration. It was very, I mean, th this description is one of a very cruel uh, and authoritative uh, totalitarian ruler. But I'd like to, as we read this, I want to broaden it out a little bit and, and think about how the, the uh, wisdom that we see here in this, in this passage also, I think, it really applies to any Anytime we find ourselves under the authority of another person or another system, maybe a, an employer or the government or 
uh, at church or family or whatever it may be. I think there's some really good principles here uh, that describes how we should behave uh, under authority in general. I think that we really are starting with that as a, as a society, recognizing uh, authority. And, and particularly, again, this thing about our, about our children. So, uh, somebody asked me if I was in the military, and I said no, but I got a second chance at it because I worked 35 years under a full colonel, retired colonel, and uh, so I, we, we didn't actually salute, but I kind of felt like I said I kept my shoes shined and my hair, <laughs> hair short. Uh, but, uh, and I could tell you stories about one time I disappointed him. He court-martialed me. <laughs> called in the board of directors and read a letter of reprimand, cut my pay and my, uh, um, my, uh, my position. But, but anyway, I, but I learned, uh, I learned that he wasn't an evil man, but he, he definitely had some rules that he didn't want to be broken and he thought that I broke one. But all that to say, uh, so here, here's what he says. He says, uh, if you're going to be a wise person and live under the authority of an autocratic ruler, uh, you, need to, you need to let your wisdom make you careful. And, uh, and I, I got this quote here from Doug Wilson. You can always count on Doug Wilson to give you a provocative quote. If, if relativists seek after hollow minds, the godly must not respond by building minds of solid wood. So you kind of let that sink in for a moment. Flexibility and prudence must not be confused with compromise and fear. So I, I think that's a good summary of kind of this, this approach here. Because even wisdom can be, way we saw back in chapter 7, don't be overly wise. You know, don't think you know everything. Be careful about that. So he's talking about particularly in the presence of, a, of an, uh, an autocratic ruler. So... Uh, We'll just read some here and, and get into it. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Well, this could be about general wisdom, but if you put this in the context of, of somebody standing uh, in front of a, of, of a autocratic king, it has really interesting uh, perspectives to it. I think that the word I've seen here is the word court. Courtier, courtier, I'm trying to be sure. I, yeah, courtier. A courtier is a is a uh, person that serves in the in the king's administration, kind of as an advisor. You can think of you can think of some some examples of that in the in the Old Testament, can't you? Someone that served in the in a king's court. Nehemiah. Who? Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Yeah. In fact, um, <clears throat> Cheyenne. I think that's when you look at this. Um, a man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his of his face is changed. Shine. What was it that got the king's attention about Nehemiah? He was sad. Yeah. And why do you think that got his attention? That's probably not allowed to be sad in the king's presence. I, I think so. I think this is an example. Of, I think he's an example of this verse right here. Uh, don't go in with a scowling. Uh, countenance in front of a king. You're supposed to be, everything's good and, and happy. And, uh, and, and, and maybe he had this the joy of the Lord too before the king before this. Yeah, okay. And then this great sorrow about what happened in Jerusalem. Yeah. 
It wasn't anything wrong he had done, but it was the, just the stark difference of what the king was used to. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Um, so, so there's verse, verse 1, and he understands the interpretation of a thing. Um, I gave you a couple of others, of course. Uh, I don't know if you, if you know Obadiah. It, I just had, it had to be in my reading. Obadiah was a, uh, was a leader in the, in the uh, reign of Ahab, who was a very wicked, remember, a very wicked guy. Remember Ahab's wife? Jezebel. Yeah, Jezebel. So a bad situation there. But this guy, Obadiah, uh, uh, he was in, the, in that king's court. And remember, he, he was known because he hid the, uh, the prophets. How, how many? A bunch of them. And he, it was during a famine, and he fed them. And so anyway, he was, you know, he was a he was a great asset there in that king's court. And I guess he had to do it secretly. But then uh, Joseph serving Pharaoh, and then Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's a good example of somebody with this, as uh, Doug Wilson said, not having a solid wooden mind, but having uh, flexibility. How did he show flexibility? And living under the authority of this Nebuchadnezzar. Well, even in his youth, he had he was wise. Did not want to. He didn't want to um, compromise his convictions and made a deal with the guard to say, "Hey, examine me when eating the king's fruits." And yeah. but even so, he, you know, even though all these adversities came upon him, he was humble. And, uh, I mean, going before a king that's had nightmares is to explain them when none of his wise men could. Yeah. It's quite the, he was the first example I thought of. I think so too, Roxy. Yeah. He's, my, he's one of my heroes. I like his name a lot, but he's one of my, one of my heroes. Uh, but just how, you know, he, he didn't just stand up and, and say, I know what's right and wrong, and we're going to be what's right whether you like it or not. But it probably would have cost him his head or his or fiery furnace or something. But he had the wisdom to be flexible. And that's what we see here in this, uh, in this story. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, just saying David would be another one. Okay. Saul. With Saul. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to read uh, verses 2 through 5. And just... And then just think about about this for a moment. Thinking about it in the context of serving under an autocratic ruler or, or authoritarian. Um, verse 2, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. It, in this context, an evil cause would be something the king didn't like. So he said, don't be careful. Don't get on the wrong side of the king's plans or desires because he'll think you're, he'll think, think that's evil. For the word of the king is supreme and who may say to him, what are you doing? Who keeps, uh, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. Uh, that is, he'll not get on the wrong side of the, of the king. And the wise heart will know the proper time uh, and the just way. So, uh, we could talk about this a long time. I think that one thing to recognize is in uh, um, yeah, verse, verse 2, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Or it could be keep the king's command because of your oath to the king. So the point is um, God 
and the authority, the authority are intricately intertwined together. Um, why is that? Because we know who put the king in his place. That's right. So it's Romans uh, thir 13, isn't it? Anybody remember how Romans 13, 1 begins? Let every person be subject to the who? The governing authorities. Um, why? Who said that? Okay. Ty, say that again. There is no authority that exists except as God. Yeah. Do y'all like that idea? Uh, I mean, some of the authorities you know, we have that you've had, we may not appreciate that, but that is, a, that is a wonderful truth to rest our souls on when we're under authority that we don't like. Uh, so I would say that, that our default is to obey our authority. Now we may be like Daniel and, and make an alternative, you know, provide an alternative, but I think we only have three, uh, three alternatives under an authority. You obey an authority, you disobey an authority, or you maybe provide some kind of alternative. You make an appeal, an appeal to an authority. Uh, but the only safe places, well, of course, as you know, uh, the, the authority of a human ruler um, is limited. It's not absolute. Only God has absolute authority. So we see like in what Acts uh, 4 or 5, the, the apostle said, uh, we can't obey you. We, you're, you're telling us we have to disobey God, so we have to obey God uh, rather than you. So, so in the third option, would that be the same as, because generally we think of compromise as being wouldn't that be the definition of compromise, but or not? To provide, I forgot what's my third alternative. Provide an alternative. I think so. I think as long as they don't require us to disobey God, it's okay to compromise. Because it seems like uh, in certain circles today that it's always bad to compromise, and I it was like that doesn't. I haven't thought this. I haven't thought this thought through, but. Uh, it's not always bad to compromise. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Bill? Wouldn't uh, what you're saying that the, the Daniel's offering of the, the the evidence of you know eating better food? Uh, he he offered the idea of instead of eating the rich food that uh, um, you know he eats better food that according to God's law was a better so a better option so he offered that as a as proof as a some, somewhat of, as a compromise or as a alternative to the uh, uh, in the beginning of Daniel so that one's not so much a compromise as it is a uh, what you said was the third the third option yeah. yeah but I imagine that courtier whoever he was probably because he said you're going to have my head cut off here if this doesn't work. It was definitely a compromise for him. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. But at the same time, Daniel never compromised what God's word commanded right. him yeah. to do because he went, and even though it was commanded not to pray to any other God except for the Nebuchadnezzar, or however that worked out, worship, he disobeyed that. 
and that's the doctrine of lesser magistrate, which we need to really understand, especially where we're at today. And I think that was covered in a series that we did some time back. Yeah, for sure. So there's a, you know, there's two sides of this story. I think obviously we recognize God as our as our ultimate authority, and we cannot disobey Him. But within that, or under that absolute. Are there not times we can compromise and, and still do what the authority tells us to do? Um, yeah. Sir. I was. Yeah, it made me think of Matthew ten sixteen says, "Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves." So you have to be mindful and wise, but you're still humble and okay. and. Good. Um, so you, we, we have to go in knowing that we're going to have to make choices and we have to be wide and discerning on where we do comp make a compromise and where we stand. Good, that's right. Um, let's see, uh, so the next little point I have, don't be hasty in response to a king. Hesitate to differ with a king. Uh, he will consider it an evil cause. And, and in his mind, he's not accountable to anybody. <coughs> that's not true, but that's what he thinks. I remember one time, this is probably 28 years ago, we lived in Garland, and I was driving to work in the morning, and it was a school holiday. And, uh, but I, and I usually, I always drove through this school zone, and I thought, well, I don't have to worry about that today because it's not a, it's a school holiday. But the light was flashing. When flashing, uh, 20 miles an hour and uh, so I, I drove past and I had to stop at a stop at a stoplight so I had a few moments to think about it I thought I wonder if that really matters I mean there's not any kids here and so I decided it didn't that didn't make sense and so I pulled off pretty quickly I mean not quickly but got up to about 35 miles an hour and where I saw the lights in my rearview mirror and this officer stopped me and, and I gave him this my license and he said, Mr. Truett, you're driving 35 in a 20 mile an hour school zone. And, um, and we take that really seriously in Garland. We love our children. And, and um, so children that's. That there. Yeah. So that's what I said. I said, well, sir, uh, I just assumed that wasn't effective because there's not any kids here. He said, that doesn't matter. The light, it says, wind flashing 20 miles an hour. And I, so I thought, well, I can reason with this gentleman. I said, uh, well, I just assumed that there wasn't any reason for the light to be flashing or for it to be effective. And, and I, uh, so I thought it would be okay. And he said, Mr. Truett, do you want to go with me back there and look at the light and see that when it says flashing, it's 20 miles an hour? And I, and I thought about the Apostle Paul in Romans 3. He said, the law shuts the mouth of the, of the unbelievers. So, I zipped it real quick. And uh, I said, yes, sir, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll be, be mindful of that in the future. And he gave me a warning, so I, it turned out okay. But I've often thought of... I mean, that, I pushed, I almost pushed, if I'd have pushed one more time, I would have had an $85 ticket, I would imagine, but, uh, but I didn't. Okay, so we know there is a, a time uh, to disobey. Now, uh, I'll read verses 6 uh, through 9, and I won't, won't give a lot of commentary on this, but it, 
<laughs> and look at look at Doug Wilson's um, <coughs> uh, quote in the footnote. The courtier is a mist giving advice to a king who is a mist. No one knows absolutely what will happen uh, in day, in the days to come. I think the point is there when when we're before an, an autocratic or, or any authority for that matter, whether it's in our work or wherever it may be. Um, we just need to remember these two things. Neither of us, neither him, neither us or him, knows everything. And what we're going to see in these passages here, um, and we both have sinful hearts. Let's be humble and about ourselves, but also about he doesn't know everything either, and he's a he's a he has a propensity toward uh, sin himself. So I think I'll just read it, and maybe we'll look at a few of these thoughts uh, quickly. Um, Let's see, verses 6 through 9. For there is a time and a way for everything. Hey, that sounds familiar. Chapter 3, isn't that? That's, yeah, the, uh, the song. For there is a time and a way for everything, although a man's trouble, or, or you could say his evil, lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no charge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man unto his hurt. Well, I don't have a lot of, uh, like I said, a lot of commentary to give you. You might just look at, at uh, some of the notes that I, that I put under there. I don't know. Um, I just gave you some kind of some summaries there no one can control the ending of his life that word spirit you know is the same as wind so there may be a play on words there not only talking about his own spirit that would depart but um, also the wind because he talks about uh, striving after the wind and how you know what an enigma that that is um, See verse eight, that point about um, no man has power to retain the spirit. Um, oh, the last phrase there. Nor, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. So a man, we may think that we have control over our little sins that we're that we're playing with. Um, but it's just a matter of time when we realize we don't, that we're not in control, but we become captive by the wickedness and it owns and controls us. Um, an autocratic, in, in the last phrase there, verse nine, um, when a man had power over man uh, to his hurt, an autocratic ruler hurts those under his power as well as himself. So this all comes back to, to roost, even with the even with the autocratic ruler. If he's if he's if he's um, mistreating others, he's going to suffer for that himself. I heard uh, Al Mohler quoting Churchill. He said a dictator has three challenges. One, he knows he has to ride on a tiger, a wild tiger, to maintain his authority. So the first challenge is how do you get on the tiger, which means he has to you know, take the, the authority from somebody else. The second one is 
how do you stay on the tiger? Because somebody else is going to want your uh, your place on the tiger as the as the autocratic ruler. And the third one is uh, how do you get off the tiger? Because once you because when you get off the tiger, it means you're dead. You, autocratic rulers don't just retire and you know move to the country. They you know, they lose their life. I think he was using that to describe a Putin. That, you know he's he's riding a tiger and he's a big tough guy, but he's beginning to see there are some forces that might uh, that might take his place. Well, um, let's see. We didn't quite get quite get through with this. The last uh, the last section it looks pretty long, so I guess we will wait to uh, do that for next next week. But I, I, maybe just so you'll see where he's going. When he gets to verse uh, 16, he has really come to a new perspective about his search and his wisdom and, and, um, and what he's been doing the first eight chapters of this, of this book. And he realizes that, um, that I can't figure this out. And in fact, he said, nobody can figure this out. And he says, I'm realizing that all the actions under under the sun are under God's direction. And anyway, I, I guess you might want to read over that. We'll 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 look at the inter, intervening verses uh, uh, next week. So we'll start with verse verse ten next week. Yeah, thank you.